right, now I get to sit back. This, uh, we have this uh, these chimes at the cathedral when you start mass. Some places have like a bell, uh-huh. this ring. This one is dun 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 dun. And it's like, uh, do you remember when you watch TV as a NBC. kid? NBC. Yeah, that's it. Ding, ding, ding. The more you know. The more you know. Ding. That's really That's funny. what I think of every time. And I kind of giggle. You know what the best As bill. I'm starting Mass, I'm like, get it together, rap. Get serious. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome to Catholic stuff, you should know. Welcome to Catholic stuff, you should know. Father John, ding, Father ding, Mike, ding. coming back, round two. Speaking of bells, you know it was the craziest bells I think I've ever heard were those gremlin bells we had at the Casa in oh, Rome. man. You would hear this thing fire off at about 11.15 on Sunday mornings, and I don't know who created it, but it was just the creepiest. I don't know. You might have liked it because it, it was so weird. I do, ding, actually. Ding, 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 ding. I hope somebody, hey, friends uh, either living at the Casa or like alumni, please somebody send me a recording of oh those my things because I miss it. So weird. They, did, they sounded, not only is the melody like the weirdest thing ever, <laughs> But the bells themselves were like tinny, and oh, they, yeah. they didn't have a really good ring, which was surprising for Rome, right. isn't it? Right. This place is so beautiful. The bell tower had on it, it was like back to the 17th century. Yeah. Not the bells, but the bell tower. And they used to make good bells. Yeah. I mean, th- those stand the test of time. Yeah. These were not good bells. They were not good bells. They were gremlin ding, bells. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> You'd be like, ah, ah, what's that? Happening? Was like the call to mass. Yeah, kind of traumatic, but the mass was beautiful. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Here we are, uh, round two. We're we're doing shorties this today. So, yeah, let me look at the time. I cranked hey, the you know thirty what? minute show one. You, I haven't. Do you remember we used to do these things eight minutes long? Eight minutes, man. Eight minutes. Eight minutes long. That was my rule. We're not going beyond eight minutes because who's going to listen to something longer who's going to listen minutes? to something longer than eight minutes now you got joe rogan who's doing five hour I know, podcasts I know. and like the long form is do you like these like eight hour history ones paul palumba listens to these things the eight hour histories yeah like eight hour podcast episodes. no i can't i don't have that attention span uh, me neither i mean or, or you get these books on tape that you know crime and punishment or like i can know, do that uh count of monte cristo 600 hours of listening it's like yeah. I don't know. I actually did. I listened to, um, oh no, I'm going to get myself in trouble again. I'm, I listened to Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, uh, yes. which I do not recommend no. to families or really anyone who's trying yeah. to stay sane. <laughs> Because it's yeah, just that was an interesting chapter. It's you were getting into those guys. And what's his name? Wild. Who was the other one? You did a podcast on him. Which one? Not David Foster Wallace, the other one. Uh-oh. Franz Wright? Franz, Franz Wright. Who Franz got, Wright is a wild... He got the honorary oh, degree at Steubenville? Yeah. Gave the, Franz Wright. Yeah, yeah, Franz yeah. Wright. That's also kind of wild. Uh, so, <laughs> we're, 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 oh, that means like long audio thing. Yeah. But we're, gonna, we're keeping it tight. Keeping this one's tight. hopefully going to be like that, too. Oh, by the way, I figured out how to get um, switch it from clicks to a timer. Oh, you did? So you could just like look at the uh, computer and see how long it's been recording. Breakthroughs on GarageBand. I know. All it right. only took, what, 11 years? Yeah, all right. All right. Push yeah. the button. All right. Yeah, so we're I coming did. back on that. Coming up on 11, 11 years. Jeez, man. I tell you what, um, I was out here on, th- there's the sound, there's the sweet sound of 6th Avenue, Sirens. Bye. I live right on a major street here. Um, I was laughing, Mike, because uh, when was it? It was Thursday night, 
I was coming back from something, and I I walked up to my house, and you got to remember this was this is a seminary house of formation, right? Right. So that's this, right. Especially last year, very quiet house, not a lot going on, and I could hear this party happening. Like, and I was like, man, somebody in the neighborhood is rocking and guys laughing and singing and music oh, just yeah. blaring. And I walk into my house and it's like, sure enough, it's coming from inside our courtyard. And the guys were just howling, laughing. I mean, wow. it was like, and what they were doing is they had discovered a playlist called Prom 2011. And they were just going through the... Whose was it? Yours? No, it was on no, Spotify. 2011. Oh, I see. And I was like, you guys went to prom in 2011? I was ordained in 2011. <laughs> no, I was going to say. And, uh, but the music was... It was hilarious. So characters like Flo Rida. Flo you know, Rida. Jason Derula and all this. It, it was like... They were just... Oh, man. It was very I was very funny. And I was like... Where was there? I was newly ordained. That's old enough for us to remember that music. That was like was the last bit before we became irrelevant, I think. Well, you still do the pop music stuff. Uh, yeah, I do Top 40 once in a while. I don't, uh, I'm not real good at it. I can't, I can only listen to it for about a week yeah. to kind of catch up on stuff, and yeah. then I'm so bored with it, and yeah. So it was a very enjoyable. Well, I'm and then glad, last though, night, I'm glad and to then, hear. I, and then Saturday night, I come back. something I really from, love about when people are laughing really yeah. hard. And we have some great guys so, Jesus, the one you're torturing in Greek. Uh, he's a cool guy. He has a great laugh. Yeah? But it's one of these laughs, like, if you get him laughing, like, it, it could, like, like I lose control of the classroom. Like, oh, no. if, if Jesus, if you kind of wind him up. You oh, know? no. So, be careful that you don't, because he's got a really, he's got like a Hector Chiapa laugh. Yeah. Well, Father Hector was in the backyard yesterday. Yeah. I came home, and I knew immediately. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Hector's here. Yeah. So yeah, Jesus Martinez uh, turned twenty eight. Turned twenty eight on Friday, and he's just a great guy, and I love having him at the house. And so you, birthday, you'd be nice dude. to him on those quizzes, because I know you've been been busting a little bit, busting some balls already. It's you know four what? weeks in. Don't fall behind. I know. I'm just saying. Every I've, pro- I've, every new look. hold on, youngin. Let me tell you something. Every young <laughs> professor, youngin. every young professor thinks. How long you've been? You, this like they think old my man, class old man is the most important here. class. Greek is the most important thing you will ever study. So I'm going to work you more than uh, just saying. You know, old man uh, getting a lecture. The old lecture from old man Nepple here. I've seen it. Who's I've seen it a million the, times. The new professor, the, the, new veteran, high, the veteran. How long you've been teaching over there, old man? One year and two months. That's it. The new professor in town doing pop quizzes and terrorizing Here. the students, so they're not reading fundamental theology. Youngin, you like that? Well, you know what? This is the nature of um, of Greek. Look, fundamental theology. I'm not going to talk too much trash about this, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is that I had been I had been through classes. I have been through seminary, and there are some classes where you can near the end, uh, take the two weeks, cram, and put everything in your head before the final exam, like a lot of the theology classes. Greek is not like that. That is true. If you don't do your weekly exercises and keep up with the quizzes, then it's disaster. I know. I totally agree. And you're doing a great job, but I just like to give you crap because you're the, you're the rook. All right, youngin. I should shave your head. You're the rookie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, is that what for tonsure? What's yeah. the shave the head thing? I don't know. I got my head shaved when I was a rookie in high school playing hockey. Oh, we probably I see. won't do that. All but, right. uh, well, that would be strange if I woke up without any hair. That would be oh, strange. speaking of which, 
there was this real cool chica at the wedding who was looking real sharp. She's got like kind of like the shaved off hair. Okay, you like and that. And then these, oh yeah, she was cool. She These big earrings and um, she comes up and I was like, what is your style? You are unique. And uh, her name is Catherine and she's in uh, San Diego. And uh, she tells me that she's a fashion designer. And I say, well, can you do these uh, clerics and stuff? And uh, she says, oh, yeah, I'm kind of working on it. And my brother was in the seminary. And I was like, okay, you, we got to stay in touch because I want, I want to figure out this like comfortable clerics thing. Okay. And I, I say, well, do I give you my email? And she said, no, I'll just email Father John. And I was like, I was like, what? She's like, oh, I already know Father John. Uh, th- her name is Catherine Huss. Catherine Huss. And her brother went to college seminary with you. Yeah, crazy. So she's like the little fashionista and totally cool. Yeah, that's great. The Huss family is awesome. But she's got no hair. Yeah, no hair. That's yeah. good. Walking around, yeah, just like California So she's going to design this, this clerical romp him that you are looking to do? Is that Well, what this is? so, yeah, I don't know. We had like this debate because it was, I don't want the gym clothes. I don't really care about that. So I guess some priests have said they want to have like gym clothes that they are blacks with the collar and what? make something. No, come on. What do you? What do you? Yeah, you just but want more comfortable. I want more comfortable because I feel like I'm in business formal every time I wear my clerics. Yeah, and maybe I just I want that. I want permission to wear shorts and a, a clerical shirt or something. I think you want clerical athleisure. It could be. That's what, what you're going that? for. Like a golf shirt, active or wear, right? I don't know exactly what it is, but I do like you know. I like to wear yeah the collar. It's almost like a habit for us, and I'd yeah. like to wear it as often, but not the gym. I not just think gym. that's excess. That's weird. Next thing you know, you're snowboarding in your cassock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Father Dave Nix did that. Mike, the guy I know that's said what I was going to say. It was night skiing in Keystone. He looked like a dementor coming down the mountain. So, all right, we got to get into this topic, man. That's my fault. Youngin, <laughs> I think I got under your skin oh, for the boy. first time ever. I've never seen this. I Am I upset Calm or I'm just like laughing at you for being ridiculous? <laughs> okay, um, first time so ever. I watched this. Um, I'm watching the Nature Nature Channel, <laughs> like Our Planet, okay, Netflix thing. I love these shows. I really, really love these shows that are showing you like the life of polar bears and um, like this. There was this uh, ground worm that is in the forest who sprays glue at the ant and uh, flamingos and how they know like this one week where the the Sahara is flooded and they can go and have like the salty water to give birth to their um, chick their chicks and all this stuff. It's so fascinating to watch these animals, these birds who can do. Who, who do this little dance for, for mating rituals. And you wonder, like, how did you get that way? Why instinctually do you know, this, uh, do all these different animals just know how to do their thing? Right. How to be themselves and how to be, how to basically, not every, not every animal thrives, but there's something built into them that makes them that thing. It's, we, uh, we use like all these ph- philosophical terms. I don't even know what this one is. It's like form, mm-hmm. right? You just, there's something built in that um, makes something unique and it just kind of knows how to do. 
that makes it as what it is or whatever. Okay, so I was thinking about what is that for human beings? Like, what are what are the most basic characteristics? And I was thinking about this for two reasons. Um, like, what, instinctually, what is it mean? What does it mean for a human being to thrive? What would you look at and try to film and and show that's unique? to the human being and um, is uh, kind of this thing at its healthy height or something like that, um, or, or like the most meaningful. I don't know. Okay, I'm kind of rambling here. But uh, I, for two reasons. One was we just had the nomination of a Supreme Court justice right. named Amy uh, Coney Barrett, who is a great Catholic mother of seven, teacher at Notre Dame, um, just an awesome, like, go-getting, super, super smart woman who is going to be an amazing Supreme Court judge, okay? And it got me thinking about law and kind of, like, the anarchy that's going on all around us. And, like, how do you, what's the grounding to law, like, why do we have it? How does it make any sense? And I was watching some interviews with uh, Michel Foucault. Mm. Do you know him? A yep. philosopher. And, and, and a debate he's having with um, Noam Chomsky, who is another influential thinker um, and um, linguist, um, psychologist, uh, uh, political thinker, philosopher, all these things. And... Michel Foucault wants to say that there are no... He's like an an absolute moral relativist. Uh, Morality, ethics, what should be done comes just by the uh, coincidence of cultures sort of um, wanting to protect certain values that they have. And so it's all relative to various cultures. There's nothing... Basically, there's nothing that is so common between human beings and they're thriving that you could say for every person everywhere that there's universal um oughts right you know right and um and then chomsky is defending now chomsky himself is like a self-proclaimed anarchist and he's got some wild ideas so i'm not endorsing everything that he says but i did i was impressed that he was defending um a sort of intrinsic sense of ethics of conscience, and he was saying that there are, there have to be motives and values that every human being shares, or else we couldn't talk about making progress. We couldn't have anyone um, recommending to anyone human behavior. We shouldn't have law. Like, what are you protecting? Everyone should be able to do whatever they want. Um, and so it got me thinking about, like, well. I, I'm interested in Chomsky's point. And, um, and I think part of that is that I believe in natural law theory, which is to say that there's a grounding in ethics, like what we ought to do that's related to like why we have laws, um, what we ought to do according to the kind of thing that we are. Like there's, there's something proper to those birds dancing that is beautiful and is is just the way that they live. Um, there's something about a human being that is unique, 
but is common to all these human beings, like human nature, enough that in, in very basic ways we can say this is what a human life is, and these are the things that um, we should try to promote as a society. And that's like the basis of law. So um, because of this sense of there is a purpose or, or there's, there's a flourishing of a human life, and uh, it requires these basic things. Um, just like the environment of these flamingos is required. If you mess with the ecosystem, then they can't live their life. Mm -hmm. They can't do it because they don't have the, the sort of environment and resources. So law is meant to um, have people working together, cooperating to provide for each human being the, the environment where they can uh, thrive. Um, but then the question arises, like, well, what is human thriving? And um, so on the one hand, I kind of set aside that question of, of law. And I think it's, it's important, it's worth, I, I think, a, a later discussion of why, how do you, in a, in a morally relativistic society, how do you ground the, um, the laws that we have or the sense of right and wrong according to what, how a human being can thrive? Because you have to develop certain principles, right? Um, like what is necessary. Yeah. And that's hard to agree upon. But I think there are some like very basics at yeah. bottom that we can all say, this is good for a human being. I think it's, uh, yeah, first, it, it's interesting to think, what is Chomsky saying about natures? Because we believe that there are such a thing as natures. Foucault would deny that, right? Right. So Foucault would say there is no such thing as a nature, an alligator nature that does this. There's no such thing as a you know, plant nature that does this. There's certainly no such thing as a human nature. And the whole kind of existentialist project is to say, um, you know, there is no essences is another way of describing it. Yeah. And by your freedom, you, you, you determine you who you are. You choose what you want to be. And, you, and, then all, and then from there, you move beyond Sartre into Foucault and these guys. And you say, no, we actually, we determine that which is true. And they've set up the whole self-creation culture that we find ourselves in. So I think it's a really interesting question. And maybe that's, yeah, okay, so that helps clarify. Like part of my, part of my idea is that we do have freedom to sort of set up what, do, what makes me happy and what does, my, what does the definition of my thriving mean. Right. It's not as given as like those birds who are doing their dance. They're on autopilot yeah. throughout life. And it's beautiful and it's intriguing and it's fascinating how they... Um, how they operate, but they're on autopilot. And a, a certain part of the human being is on that autopilot. Right. And then there's another part that does choose and wills um, how that is going to be expressed or life is going to be expressed, how life is going to go, what we're going to want to do mm -hmm. and be. We don't have the instinct that's going to say, I have to go to Florida and play golf. Right. at this age, and then migrate back to right. Minnesota or whatever. Right, right, right. You know about the snowbirds. Yeah. Um, even though that might be, you know, so there's, there are ins instincts in human beings, but we do have a great deal of, of choice yeah. and freedom um, that isn't exercised by the rest. So part of it is the question of like, well, what is, what is that instinct? And how do you determine, like how do you allow that, to um, operate 
and thrive. And then there's this whole other piece of like, what does it mean for each person to be happy and everything? But I think the question of law needs to come in part from how do we like protect and um, cultivate that most basic? Um, what you're talking about is human nature, right? Mm-hmm. That's those things that belong to a human being, no matter where you look, no matter uh, who you're talking about, no matter even if about their choices or their interests or whatever. So one of the, interesting kind of places that I, I looked for how do we ground that stuff is the uh, UN Declaration of Human Rights. After the Second World War, you had the influence of a lot of like discussions about um, philosophy and the philosophy of ethics. Things had gone off the rails pretty significantly, and there was the whole world after this madness asking, well, what is... What, who are we, and how do we protect each other and make like thrive, mm-hmm. right? And they came up with this series of rights that are very basic, you know, but I think are very important for looking at like, well, how do you how do you set up this these conditions for a human being to uh, to thrive, just to be a human being, you know? What's that ecosystem look like, and how do you how does how can society help? And there are things as basic as like um, a right to life. If you you know if you don't protect that, if somebody can kill you, then you're never going to thrive, right? It's as basic as you get. Yeah. Um, right to nourishment, food, shelter—the things that can immediately threaten even the ability to to live. You know, we we're weak, we're fragile in a way, and the herd has to protect the herd, right? Um, there's Rights like you can't be tortured and you can't be um, unduly um, put in prison without any kind of trial or these kinds of things. So you have these very basic fundamental rights and, um, and they keep it basic. And now, since then, you've, there was a development of the language of rights that's kind of gone off the rails. Oh, and yeah, now yeah. everybody talks about a right to anything, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, Originally, this meant like what are the very basic kind of conditions for a person to be able to um, just grow up, survive. Maybe that's the word, you know, survive. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, yeah, getting to the question of rights and law, which I think where you want to kind of get us to here, I would just take a step back and just say, um, if you are... If you if you accept that natures exist, then the next question is: Do you accept that souls exist? That there's a spiritual animating principle that is not physical, right? So you you do not believe that we're all just kind of atomic machines, you know, mm. just a collection of kind of organisms that are just kind of these basic kind of just functioning. Yeah, building and, block, material so, building yeah, the, blocks. The classic like tradition the, the momentum is momentum of yeah, evolution or from something. From the Greeks and certainly through Aquinas and the Thomistic tradition, there's three kinds of souls. Right? There's generative, like plant souls, sensitive animal souls, and then rational human souls. And that God immediately creates the rational soul in a way. So I, what I'm hearing in your question is like, so with plants and animals, living things, you have these kind of this kind of mechanisms, these kind of things that they do, which are crazy, like the worm that 
spews glue and like interesting stuff like yeah the, the natural world is fascinating for that reason and it just knows to do that it knows how, to do that's that that's how it lives and survives and then with human beings you introduce the question of freedom where they become in a way auto-determinative yes and mm. so the question is and but what, not entirely right not entirely right? exactly we can't we can't be something so that we're not and that's the Foucault There's that's the mistake human is, nature but there yeah. is an element where I do my freedom is self-determinative. It's not in a total way. So I think your question is like, what is instinctive and then what is determinative? I think that law, the question of law, the question of culture, this all arises out of what happens when you take a bunch of rational souls with freedom and put them together. Like Then all of a sudden new things start to arise. Yeah, We all go play golf in Florida in February. That's a collective decision. We follow rules when we play golf. Otherwise, the game would literally be absurd, right? Yeah. So then you have a law, so to speak, that operates. So law becomes kind of the ordering of the collective freedoms, so to speak. That's why, like, this whole mask thing, I was just talking to my pastor, Father Fox, about this. And it's just like, you know, some of you are really upset about the masks. I understand. There's a lot of... There's a lot of stupidity in the way we're exercising these things right now. But at the end of the day, you're not really wearing the mask for yourself. You're wearing it for the people who are yeah. really freaked out. For the herd. For the herd. And um, and the vulnerable in the herd. Right. But people are legitimately upset at the same sense because this is not instinctive. Because the, they're free, feeling like the freedom is being ran over. Right. And I understand that. Um, and they're they're disenchanted about how the church is responding or kind of selling out to that. Like, I, I understand that, but we've lost a sense of like the purpose of order and law. There is a natural law. It's written into nature, but it's, it's, it's really yeah. to kind of hold these freedoms together, but it doesn't answer your question about, well, we're weird like this in comparison to the animals. There are some animals who are herd and pack animals. And then there are other animals that go on their own way and they, they might be, I mean, you always have to have community for there to be reproduction and birth. But then some animals just live on their own yeah. for a very long time. And I think we're both. Um, I don't think you can just say, I think we're more of like a pack animal. But we also need freedom. We always need freedom. We don't just work together like the beehive, where everything I do is dedicated to the, the whole or whatever. Um, if I can find an email, I wanted to read a line on that. Um, but that's a good example, the masks. Um, just to, to point out like the concern we have for, for everybody else and how that's an important piece of life. Um, sorry, this is a bit tangential, but I thought I'd throw it in there. Um, John Paul II made a comment in Pastor's Dive Voice about how priests need solitude in order to really live community. Like if, you don't, if you're mm. not okay with being a solo animal, you can't be a pack animal. Okay. Because yeah. of the way freedom works. Um, so I thought I would just mention, this is from Deacon Thomas Maddock, who gave a really nice homily last week and uh, sent it. But John Paul II says this, it can be said that those unable to have a positive experience of their own solitude are incapable of genuine and fraternal fellowship. Wow. I was like, that's really profound. In a world that basically operates in psychological codependence, which is what it feels yeah, like Yeah, I was going to say, that's opposed to And we to see that in the companions, right? More proximity does not mean more community. Just because we throw people into a church together for mass on Sundays doesn't mean they have community because nobody's afraid to actually have solitude with Jesus, I think. Yeah. So there's something there. That you have to be able to, even, you know, to, to have something to give, you've got to be something on your own. 
and you got to have a particular relationship with Jesus. You got to have your own friends. We're always telling married couples too, like spread it out. If you're just, you know, like dependent on each other, right. then you're going to lose your, you know, the savor of even that relationship. You know, you got to have your own life, Distance your own spiritual life. Yep. Yeah, right. Abstand. So, but that's not your your question. So I just I no, no. I think that's really interesting. Um, so I guess I had two parts, but we don't have time for one of them. Was so like the big question, like what makes people happy? And I had a great conversation with um, Joe and Angela Wistersill, who were just married, and um, and Joe's mom Barb, um, just this afternoon about okay, what are these factors that make a human being what what would we call thriving and it's so complicated obviously because it involves um the very basics of survival and reproduction and we do so much for the sake of that um that kind of animal instinct and then there's all kinds of other stuff like creativity and sacrifice for a greater good um ambitions goals um there's a lot of ways that we um, think that we're doing something that's going to make us happy and it's not, or make us thrive. There's childhood and old age, and we glorify the center of like the zenith when you're the most beautiful and vigorous and um, like capable and powerful and all these things. So those are those are interesting questions that I I look forward to asking in this like mind project that I have right now about what is a human being in this um, yeah in this kind of world. But I, I like this thing about natural law, and I bring it up because I think when we're asking these questions about politics right now, and we're asking questions about law, and we're all wondering, like, how can we be free, but also work for the common good? Like, we're, when we're wearing the masks, or we're asking big questions about society, or we're watching people riot, or we're concerned about issues. And so it's just kind of in the air right now. Like who's right? Who's wrong? What's the, what's the basis for any mm-hmm. judgment about that stuff? And traditionally this idea of natural law, that there is a human nature, that we're a certain kind of thing. And that sort of like thriving of that kind of thing, um, follows a certain set of basic rules, just like it does for all the other animals that um, you break those rules and you're no longer like working for the, the good of this um, pack, this species, this, you know, thing, these, these human beings. So what, what I'm interested in is that asking this question of looking around and seeing that ethics has become relative. We took for granted for a long time that ethics, like how to be a good or bad person, comes from religion. Mm-hmm. This is like a, a Western reality. And a yeah. lot of it did come from Bibles and um, kind of the lessons of the Judeo-Christian reality. And that's being jettisoned. We don't want to hear about God. We don't want to have things come from God. Um, we don't want to say right and wrong comes from one religion or another. Um, and uh, I think there's something okay about that. I think, I mean, like, knowing the, the will of God and that God has a plan for human beings, God knows how, like, we've been created with a particular end, and it involves being religious and all of these things. Um, but it's already there instinctually. So, set, even set God aside, 
or the questions of revelation. And you already still have the instinct of a human being and the setup for saying there are some things that are built into the human being that already give us criteria about how we should treat each other that um, just comes from who we are, the kind of thing that we are. So we don't, natural law, I think it's, it's helpful because if you're totally relative, you lose any like objective ethics. And that's what we're living around. You know, this, the anarchy of who knows what's right and wrong. Only the individual can know their own right and wrong. Yeah. Which then you can never get along, you know? I, uh, yeah, this is a very, uh, very interesting question, as Global would say. Um, my, I would. I have only time for one remark, and then I got to go lead Holy Air in a second here. Oh, yeah. um, I think what what if I was going to say what is distinctive of the human species, like it's their capacity to uh, experience and understand being in its three transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm. So we have a capacity for. The transcendentals. When I, when I say transcendentals, what I mean is the qualities or the attributes of all being, which are participations in God, who is himself. God is not just good. He doesn't just do good things. He is goodness itself. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't just teach us true things. He is truth, right? He is beauty. Um, he is perfect unity. So um, that that's my thought, is that the religious sense in us is the capacity for which is the combination of rationality and freedom and it's it that's what allows renders us possible to encounter being in its truth and its goodness and its beauty you're talking to angela and what's her husband's name now joe joe it's a a conversation about the transcendentals like yeah the question of natural law is is discovering discovering we ended up talking about beauty right and the search for beauty wonder as being like definitively human so that would be uh, the two cents I would throw in it. But certainly... to, would you say, just answer this one, it, could you, can you still maintain a foundation for ethics if you, if you ignore the uh, revelation? Like, okay, fine. It's, in the end, it's grounded in God. So like, take the U.S. Declaration of Independence. All human beings are created um, equal and are endowed with by their creator with, um, what do you call it, inalienable rights of um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Can you get rid of the creator part and still say, we can discern from human beings that we should have rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Yeah. But it's hard to determine what that last one looks like. Yeah, I think that you can know God exists as creator without revelation. But can you can you know what's right and wrong? That's my question. Well, I without would say, the revelation, I would say you can, but with great difficulty and with a lot of error. That's what Aquinas talks about knowing oh, okay. God. You know, he, in the beginning of the sermon, he talks about we can we can know God, but we do so after a long struggle with a lot of error and confusion. And I think it's the same thing. Like we can think metaphysically. Like this is the it's a the, your question is what is metaphysics and and. How is the human being structured to do metaphysics? And the crisis of the world we're living in is everything's collapsing because we've rejected metaphysics. I was just reading Balthazar on, yeah. on this you're today. You're rejecting reality. You're rejecting reality, but metaphysics is the way that the human mind is is structured to think about reality. And so okay. it's reflecting on the transcendental. So yes, we can, but I think we end up in all kinds of metaphysical problems, which we uh. see, you know? And so we need revelation uh, in order to heal and elevate and sanctify, so... 
Well, that's a little lesson from our fundamental theologian. <laughs> For this, you can save that for, for the last this two young semester. <laughs> it just got a lesson. <laughs> I knew that. All right. Back. Well, I want to. I want to give a you. shout out to the um, to the wedding party. Welcome you got any shout outs? I don't know. I know you're on the run. Maybe. Sorry. So here's a short list. I want to give a shout out to Alexandra, Michelle, Catherine, Sarah, Vanya, oh and gosh. Sarah. These people all listen. Brian, Jeff, Dan, Avi, Nate, Zach. And everybody else involved, all the Wister Seals. I'd like to give a shout out to and all the Deanies. A certain Father Kevin Pankowski. You remember him, my deacon from last year? Yeah. He received in the mail a five-pound gummy bear. What? Five pounds. No, they shouldn't even make these. And things. This, That's the guys ate about three of the pounds. What if a kid and then gets their hands away. on that? I know it, this, this shouldn't exist. They this ate should. three pounds. And then I said, "It's over. I'm calling <laughs> it. It's just disgusting." How do you you just cut that with a away, knife? Chopping away at it. Yeah. So. Like God a block of you. gummy bears. Kevin, wow. That was just, please don't. All, we're all going to have diabetes by the end of the year. Well, that's what I'm yeah, wondering. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what was the other shout out? Oh, Alexandra and Krista, they dropped off another care package just to make all my guys again, you know, obese. But they're so kind. Oh, they got, got the. I, we've been I eating was just Cheez-Its enjoying today. All those crispy cheeses. Crispy Cheez-Its. So, thanks to them uh, for taking care of us. And uh, I think that's about it. I also like to shout out. Uh, Robert Beyer. Robert is three years old, and we are at dinner at his house. And he walked up to Nathan Goble and he said, "You got any money?" <laughs> Goble goes, "Yeah." And he goes, "Where is it?" And Dick Goble goes, "In my car." He goes, "Give it to me now." And I was like, "This kid is a didn't we just honey we badger. just talked about the Wild West on the yeah. last podcast?" Billy the Kid, literally Robert, Billy the Kid. Okay, God bless you, Thanks, everybody. Mike. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Um, we're out. Later.